welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wolf. Here at Let It Matter, we seek to make space for and honor what matters to us as individuals, as communities, and as beloved children of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. That tells me that God cares about what we care about. In their song of the same title, the group Johnny Swim offers this invitation. If it matters, let it matter. So that's what we're going to do. I invite you to join me for the next 30 to 45 minutes as we make space for honor, celebrate, or lament, and as we name what matters. Okay, hello and welcome. I'm so thankful you're joining me for this special bonus episode. Because we didn't have an episode air this past Monday, I wanted to bring you guys just a little something for your weekend. Today on the Let It Matter podcast, I am joined by my personal therapist, Jamie Williams. Some of you may remember Jamie from the episode she joined Debbie Abraham and I for back in September of 2022 when I was guest hosting on the Where Do We Go From Here podcast. Jamie joined us to talk about how therapy helps after purity culture. You'll hear Jamie as a recurring guest on this show from time to time, both on the main show and over in Patreon, because I have been so profoundly transformed by the wisdom, insight, and experience she has to offer. So before we dive in, let me tell you a little more about her. Jamie Williams is a licensed professional counselor supervisor and the founder of Prosperity Counseling Services here in Texas. She has over 10 years of experience in helping clients with a wide range of concerns, diagnoses, and traumas. Her therapeutic approach combines gestalt, narrative, Jungian analysis, experiential, and trauma-focused counseling modalities such as EMDR, trauma-focused CBT, and more. Jamie is also certified in and utilizes integrative somatic parts work and neurofeedback. Jamie holds a bachelor's degree in psychology and child and family studies from Arizona State University and a master's degree in mental health counseling. She is also currently pursuing a PhD in clinical psychology at Saybrook University. Here's our conversation. Okay. Jamie Williams, thank you so much for joining me again today on the podcast. I am so thrilled to have you. Thanks for having me. So today we're talking about what it means to be triggered after we've experienced a trauma, how to recognize that it's happening, and how to return to safety in our bodies. Um, So because, first of all, because this has become sort of a meme or a word that's used on social media Um, And even within some of the nastier political discourse, um, you know, snowflake and and that sort of those sort of um, things, if you could maybe just first explain what it actually means to be triggered specifically within the context of your field. Absolutely. I think that's why maybe this has become a catchphrase, but is also very misunderstood Um, when we're experiencing this effect of being triggered. It's our nervous system. And so understanding the different parts of that is pivotal to then returning to safety because you have to first understand why do I not feel safe? What's what's happened here? Um, And then you also have to feel empowered enough and also be able to understand how to get back to that safety stage. Um, And so, you know, there's the voluntary parts that we can control of our central nervous system and then the autonomic. These are the things that are 
not in our control, like um, our heart rate, our digestion, our mm. pace of breathing. And so those are the things that we're going to notice physiologically when we're triggered. Maybe our heart's mm-hmm. beating faster. We're getting a little sweaty. We're not controlling that. Um, and so that's a place to start is to say, what what is feeling out of my control right now? That's a trigger. Mm. And that's what that's what I was going to ask next is sort of what it what does happen in our bodies, in our brains and behaviors that can indicate our trauma has been triggered, maybe even if we don't realize it. And I, I want to give a quick example. Um, I, I knew I knew to some degree that it was happening, but it wasn't until inauguration day of this presidency that I realized that I had spent the previous four years for sure and five, if you count the campaign, of the previous president in a triggered state to some degree um, because of a previous relationship with narcissistic abuse and because of my history of sexual assault um, and the things that this president has been on record as saying. Uh, and believing and embodying and not and doubling down on um not this president that president sorry mm-hmm. to be clear talking about Donald Trump y'all I really <laughs> Just didn't want to say it <laughs> I didn't want to say his name on my podcast because he doesn't deserve it <clears throat> but I I want to be clear that I'm not talking about Biden <laughs> um but I spent that presidency and then I literally what I had to do was I watched the um, daily press briefings for two months to remind myself we were out of that period of time and the, and watching Jen Psaki at the time uh, engage with the press in a professional way to joke, to laugh, to answer hard questions, to tell the truth, to say, yeah, this is where we're at and it sucks and we're working on it. Um, you know, there was stuff about immigration that came up that was real crappy even in this administration, there was stuff, you know, certainly with the pandemic, um, after we had the freeze in Texas, that it's not like everything went to like sunshine and butterflies. It was just that I had to remind myself, like, we're not dealing with a narcissistic abuser in office anymore. And my body had to remember it. And so mm-hmm. I literally had to, there were exercises, there's literally a video on my, on the Let It Matter website of me doing an embodiment exercise to remind myself that we're not in the Trump administration anymore. So I know that's a long story, but like I realized it afterwards because it took so long to re-regulate. It took so much intentional effort to literally watch press briefings from the new administration because I, I was in this stage of, of triggered for five years Mm-hmm. Um, and some, and some days were way worse and some days it was, you know, low grade, but, uh, and that's just an example because it was a sort of national thing. It's not like I was in a relationship with the man, but, but he was everywhere. He was on my social media. He was on late night. He was on comedy. He was in, um, you know, the news, like there was not a, there wasn't really a sphere. His voice wasn't touching. And so I couldn't get away from the triggers. It's not like I could control my environment enough to, to where he wasn't my president. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so I want to just ask, like, um, even when we don't realize it, can you tell us sort of what what things to look for? Maybe you just mentioned a few of them. What things to look for in our bodies, our brains, and our behaviors that that may indicate we're being triggered? 
Yeah, I'm glad you shared that story because, you know, that's evidence that our when we're triggered, our triggers are, are multifaceted. Was your trigger directly related to the president at the time? Yes. But physiologically, what you felt when you were triggered was much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. And so that's important to understand. Um, and so when I'm talking with clients about being triggered and helping them maneuver through that, an important piece to understand is that we all have an autonomic hierarchy. I like to picture it as a ladder. Um, and when we're triggered, we have the empowerment to maneuver up and down this ladder. Mm. Um, and so the bottom of the ladder is our um, dorsal vagal part of our autonomic nor- nervous system. It's the oldest part that we've been equipped with um, for lots of years. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where we feel completely immobilized when we're triggered. That might look for us like having a panic attack literally passing out, um, dissociating. Mm -hmm. Those are primitive responses that were ingrained in us for survival. And so some of us do go to the dorsal vagal part of our ladder, our hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Um, And the middle, this is where we most exist. That's our sympathetic nervous system. That's the fight, flight, freeze, fawn that we're all used to. And so if you find yourself reacting or fleeing or fighting or whatever it is, you can say, all right, I'm in the middle of the ladder. But what a lot of people don't know is that we are the newest part of our nervous system is our ventral vagal. And that's at the top of the ladder. That's where we want to try to maneuver to. Okay. But if you don't know it does it exists, then how do you know to get <laughs> yeah. there, right? And also I want to just mention, you just mentioned four responses and where most of us are only equipped with fight or flight. That we only know that those two exist. And you mentioned freeze, which that one has been, you know, it becomes pretty obvious when we just are, you know, paralysis sort of 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 being frozen. Can you say what fawn is right quick? Yeah. I mean, I think for a lot of people that looks like people pleasing, that might look like putting a mask on just to avoid the conflict and saying, oh, I I wasn't that bothered about it. Um, Okay. Yeah. All right. I didn't want to spend a ton of time on that, but just, but like you said, you know, in order to empower us to to move into those spaces, we have to know that they're there or that they're, mm-hmm. they like give names to what we're doing. That's part of what this podcast is, is to name things because once we know that they exist and they matter, um, we can engage with them. So, okay. So the, you said ventral vagal. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what, what does that look like? So it's the newest part of our nervous system and understanding it from a bi- biological perspective, it's it's built very biologically different than our sympathetic and dorsal and that these neural synapses are myelinated. So we're able to um, receive responses faster. So you might okay. feel triggered faster, but you also might be able to be self-soothed faster. Okay. Um, And so it's also this part of our nervous system is connected to cranial nerves, which are responsible for um, our facial expressions, our vocalization, thus making us more socially engaging. Mm -hmm. Um, It was developed in mammals um, out of the need to nurture their young. So think Mm -hmm. about that where I'm going with Mm -hmm. this here. Yeah. Um, and this is our true homeostasis. But again, many people don't even know that this level of regulation exists. But our true homeostasis is up here in the ventral vagal part of our parasympathetic nervous system. Um, but we can only achieve this if we know that it's there and that we feel safe. And so the key is finding ways to feel safe that we'll talk about. Um, yeah. But I think 
realizing that this is even a possibility to feel safe through connection and our ventral vagal state, we need to settle into that. So it's not just the sort of, quote, best version of being triggered. That's actually also where our safety exists is within that that Mm -hmm. realm. Okay. Um, And then can you just tell us what you mean when you say newest? I assume evolutionary adaptation. Is that what you're, what science is referring to there? Or is it new, most mm-hmm. newly discovered? Um, both. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's, mostly, <laughs> it's mostly newly discovered, but from an evolutionary perspective, it's the newest um, ingrained part of our nervous system. Um, okay. And so when you think about the ventral vagal, that's feeling safe in connection with others. Mm. Sympathetic in the middle where most of us exist is only feeling safe if I'm able to run only feeling safe if I can freeze and hide, only feeling safe if I'm a people pleaser or a perfectionist and put on these masks. Mm. That's exhausting. It is. But this, but ventral vagal is an, it is a new sort of understanding. Like I said, so many of us are, don't even know that freeze and fawn are the names of those things, but we think fight or flight is our option. Mm-hmm. get out of there or stand up and fight it. Or in this case, maybe, maybe just freeze and, and t- as I say to, <laughs> to my nephews, T-Rex rules. If you don't move, maybe she won't see us. <laughs> That's usually when Grammy is asking us to pick up our toys. Mm. Smart. <laughs> T-Rex rules. <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, or, or fond people pleasing. If we think those are our only options, we may never even reach for connection. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Because we feel like uh, we, because we don't even know that that is a way to equip ourselves towards safety and homeostasis, like you said. Um, all right. So let's talk about practices, a few okay. practices and exercises that we can keep in our back pocket and reach for um, if or once we recognize we're experiencing a trauma trigger. Absolutely. Um, So if you have never, or you're not used to feeling safe through connection, when you're first triggered, you're likely going to want to be alone or to react and not account on somebody else to help you regulate. And so some things that you can do starting off um, is to make eye contact. Making eye contact parasympathetically is going to access your vagal um, system. Um, If you're by yourself, and you don't want to be around anyone else, that can look like making eye contact with yourself in the mirror or turning mm-hmm. the camera on on your phone, making eye contact. Wow. Um, that can, that even, I wouldn't say trick your brain, but that even activates that that center of mm-hmm. of regulation. Wow. Okay. Go ahead. Absolutely. I mean, similarly to, to how we hear, you know, and research has shown that if we smile at ourselves in the mirror in the morning, yeah. we're going to have a boosted mood. Um, yeah. And so using a pleasant facial expression can be helpful too. And so when we're triggered, our eyebrows might be furrowed. Our jaw might be clenched. Mm -hmm. Try to soften that. Okay. And that's not what, what, what I feel when I hear that is that feels like bypassing, like mm, act like it's fine. Yes. And I don't think that's what you're saying. So can you, can you sort of clarify what it is that you mean by that? Yeah. And I think that's a reaction I get from people a lot. It's like, I don't want to unclench my jaw because I was triggered. That tells me you're just used to having to stay in the ring of reacting, Mm. right? You're so used to feeling safe through holding onto this and reacting. That's a normal response. Or feeling our trauma be doubled by being invalidated. And so to smile Mm -hmm. at myself 
invalidates the harm that I'm experiencing either now or in the original trauma event. Mm -hmm. It feels like that's, that's just sort of the Mm -hmm. visceral thing that came up, but you're probably right. Like I said, this is my first time hearing about, (laughs) about, um, this idea. And so I'm probably stuck in the reactionary realm of triggers as well. Okay. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, co-regulation and, you know, co-regulation is taught to us in our early attachment years, a ba- we're crying as a baby, we're distressed because we're a baby, our mom picks us up, soothes us. Oh, okay, we're learning how to, that we can be self-soothed. Because again, I'm imagining a crying baby, they have no idea that the ventral vagal system is, <laughs> yeah. uh, is there, right? But they're also passively learning it and feeling safe through that connection with their mom. And so, and so the word co-regulate would be with, right? To, yes. to be regulated by another. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I want to take that one step further um, to speak to what you were saying about how that might feel like you were kind of bypassing your pain to smile or look at yourself through it. Mm -hmm. If we've not been taught how to co-regulate with other people, we can start with ourselves. We can attune Mm -hmm. and co-regulate with ourselves. And so if we've got this part of ourselves that wants to fight and stick it out until justice is sought or whatever it is, we can (laughs) also... Yeah, we can also, you know, create this reparenting, nurturing figure within ourselves, too, Mm. that wants to regulate with us. That's a really interesting idea, because for half a second, my brain went like, create another person within us. (laughs) And then, and then, oh, yeah, my child self exists within me. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm not a parent, but when I engage in reparenting things there is sort of a parent, a parent self within me mm-hmm. for the child self mm-hmm. within me that I, that I just sort of tap into. This is not like multiple, multiple personalities. It's just no. like, it's, there's just a, there's a, a lens or a, I don't even know what, how to, it's just a different part to tap into mm-hmm. as a, like you said, as a resource. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's a really interesting idea to, to co-regulate the inner child with the inner parent. Absolutely. The version of the inner parent. Okay. Absolutely. And it's a great place to start because if you're used to reacting in that sympathetic system of fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, it's mm-hmm. going to seem asinine to you to connect with somebody else to regulate. Like, what? No, I don't need other people, right? Mm-hmm. Other people trigger me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. and people so are taking that. This. Yeah. And so taking that inward, okay, if that's where you're at, you can still do this within yourself. Because again, the locus of control is within you. And that's Mm. the truest form of empowerment is being able to start this stuff inwardly. That's great. Um, Okay, so what other what other maybe practices or exercises? Um, You have talked to me before about grounding and tapping, Mm -hmm. if you can talk about those two specifically. Yeah. And so there's lots of things that you can do for tapping. Um, You know, it it really um, attains to your motivation and learning styles. Some people are kinesthetic and so they might ground themselves through um, meaningful touch, maybe stroking their arms and we'll get to the tapping piece, um, which is Mm -hmm. connected with that. Some Mm -hmm. people are sensory and so they might ground themselves with a sense, a scent um, or a taste. Other people like to have uh, what are called ventral anchors. And so this is, this can be a word, 
a mantra, a statement, an affirmation that kind of brings you back to this idea of, I can feel safe. I can. Mm. Uh, My ventral anchor is, it's okay to feel safe when I'm safe. Mm. And this is something that I will often repeat to myself when I feel myself triggered and in Mm -hmm. that sympathetic nervous system response. It's Mm -hmm. okay to feel safe when I'm safe. How do I make myself feel safe? Um, Another way that you can ground yourself is if we're fearful, we are activated. I imagine Mm -hmm. that is restless energy and in inside of us. We're hypervigilant. Um, and really the counterpart to feeling fear is feeling curiosity. Mm. I'm not saying go be this toxic, positive person of it's okay. I'm safe. Right. But taking fear from, I don't know if I can trust this person because they triggered me to curiosity, maybe of I'm curious, maybe of what boundaries I can put into place to be able to trust this person, or I'm curious why I was triggered, or I'm curious if I could connect with this person more to not be triggered. One of the, there's two curiosities in me that, that help me sometimes when, um, when I'm triggered by another person, especially if, if I don't know them that well, or they're not like my family that I, you know, Mm -hmm. that I'm very, very experienced with, um, is first of all, um, did I misunderstand? Did I misunderstand like, for example, men and women text very differently. Yes. <clears throat> and so does his lack of punctuation mean he's mad at me? <laughs> yes. Did I misunderstand that? And and can I just ask for greater context here? Or mm-hmm. like, can I get on the phone and hear his tone of voice? Um, and the second one is, and this is sort of more like, not in the moment, but it's, is what happened to you. Um, and so when I, when I come to a place of curiosity where like your hurt people hurt people Mm -hmm. and when I can engage empathy from, it doesn't excuse and it doesn't, doesn't make what you did to me. Okay. It doesn't mean I don't need a boundary there, but when I can engage my empathy for you, Mm -hmm. it makes you less of a two dimensional, like just enemy or abuser or harmful. It makes you a human being. And when I can say, oh, you know you're like this because, or, or you're responding like this because that's how, you know, whatever. And I may not ever ask the question, but I can at least engage the curiosity where it opens mm-hmm. the possibility that this isn't just some malicious intent, you know, Disney villain. This mm-hmm. is somebody who every engagement is cut with their own childhood, their own <laughs> triggers, their own traumas. Um, they're sort of ingrained in, you know, nature and nurture. And I can, and I can at least tap into the fact that they're human again. It's, it brings a rehumanization to that person that maybe um, I had started to strip away in their harmfulness to me. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, and I think when you're able to tap into that empathy, that's exactly exactly what the ventral vagal state is. It's feeling safe through connection. You're not ah. going to want to connect to someone that's a villain and unsafe but you're much more likely to want to connect to somebody if you can understand and have empathy for them. Well, and I want to be clear, I don't, and I'll let you say this, you know, specifically, but I'm not saying do that with like, if somebody's, if you're with your domestic violence, uh, you know, domestically violent partner or, you know, someone that is, you know, dismissive or sexually harassing you or something like that. I'm not saying, I'm not saying empathize with them. Like, 
give them a free pass. I'm not saying empathize mm-hmm. with them in terms of like go ask them their history and try to get right. to know them more. That's not what I mean. Um, I don't think anyone is ever served by be, by being dehumanized. That's what I mean is that they are Absolutely. still a human, even if what they're doing is really shitty. They're still a human and I may need a boundary. I may need to walk away. I may need to get myself to physical safety and all of those things. I want to be clear to people listening. I'm not saying engage your empathy because it may be, you know, there may be a reason they're being horrible to you. Right. I don't operate that way. And I don't think that's what you're saying. No and way. I wouldn't recommend it to someone. <laughs> um, Absolutely not. But there is just a level of like, in some cases, like I said, if it's a work miscommunication mm-hmm. or if it's uh if it's, you know, just someone at church that's like grates on my nerves or if it's, you know, something like that, that, that it is less volatile, harmful, violent, you know, it's not anything like those, then I can engage an empathy and say like, oh, I get, I get why you're, you know, why you're lashing out. Maybe you're, you're going through a really hard time in your life right now. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you didn't have time because you're in the weeds with toddlers at your house all day long. You know, something like that. That's just, that's all I meant by that. Absolutely. Yeah. You're just depersonalizing it at that point. Yeah. 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 That's right. Okay. So tapping. Yes. Yeah, so tapping in resources can be really helpful. Um, when you think about resources, I think of what what allies are you needing? What internal strengths are you needing to get through this trigger and to um, maneuver through that autonomic hierarchy? And so you do have to approach it from what am I needing right now? Basic question of self-compassion. That might be I'm needing nurturance or I'm needing physical touch or protection or respect mm. and whatever it is. And so you're going to identify the resources that you're needing and you mm. can tap them in and install them into your um, parasympathetic way of viewing the situation. Okay. Um, so let's say you say, I need some nurturance. I need nurturing. I need a big old hug. I need to feel mm-hmm. warm and fuzzy and that somebody cares about me. And so you're going to try to feel that physiologically. That might feel like some warmth in your chest. Um, some people even like to give themselves a big old bear hug while they do this. Um, and where you tap doesn't necessarily matter. You want to make sure it's a place that is um, unilaterally even. Um, so when you say that, uh, for people who can't see us on the video right now, yes, <laughs> you mean something that like has two sides of it, your right and your left side, right? Yes. Yeah. You don't want to tap right in the center of your forehead, for example, Okay, Um, because it's the bilateral stimulation of the right and the left and the right and the left that's going to attach to your vagus nerve and your vagal system and help Mm -hmm. sympathetically calm you down. Okay. Um, I do want to say if tapping is new to you and you have trauma um, and layers of it, you're going to want to start cautiously with this. And you're going to want to do short sets of the tapping. Um, as you get used to it, you can do longer sets. Um, but like we mentioned earlier, these triggers are ingrained from several memories. And so we might be tapping to calm ourselves down because our boss triggered us. But that might also be physiologically related to our past trauma, too. Yeah. And so wherever possible, I always want to just give a plug that if therapy is affordable or possible through insurance or through low-cost networks or whatever it is, um, and you've experienced uh, 
I'm, I'm not even going to say significant trauma. I'm just going to say trauma. Um, I highly recommend engaging this with a professional first because EMDR right. may be necessary and timelining and there's a whole bunch of other things to help sort of detangle so that when you are triggered, you know where the trigger's coming from or at mm-hmm. least you have an idea. Um, and and I'll just give that plug. And, and I know I have um, heard feedback on this before that a lot of times in this country, therapy is a privileged experience. Unfortunately um, so. Because of budgets, because of insurance, because of the way our healthcare is set up. Uh, and I honor that and recognize it. I'm, for th- this episode, I'm going to put resources in my Instagram stories of low-cost networks and ways to find and access lower-cost mental health services. Um, but I wanted to just say that also because, you know, what you're doing here is offering us your wisdom uh, in a more generic or general sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody is their individual stories matter to the way that, you know, treatment and protocols and stuff are engaged. So I'm just saying that on your behalf and, and f- for the podcast, um, that this isn't cookie cutter science either. Um, right. That everybody's, everybody's story is different and needs to be engaged with care and with individuality. Mm-hmm. So yeah. with that said, tell us about tapping. Yeah. So this is a great exercise to do in the moment. It's easy to do um, because all you need is your fingers. Um, What I like to do is the physical tapping using my pointer fingers. Some people have gotten really good at this and explored other sensations like using a paintbrush um, or something a little bit more firm to tap themselves with. So that's an option. Uh, But you're definitely going to want to make sure that you find a place first that you're safe. And so wherever it is that you're triggered, don't just stand there and do this. Go to a place that's Uh undisturbed um, and that you can feel safe at first. Um, And before getting started, you want to make sure that you feel physically grounded. That might be noticing both of your feet firmly planted on the floor or noticing your rear firmly planted in your seat. Uh, Mm -hmm. But notice that first. Then you're going to bring about the the resource that you want to tap in. Let's say it's nurturance. I want to nurture myself or compassion. I want to tap in some compassion. I really and need that And when you're saying right tap in, you mean like it's almost like install, right? Sort of download. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I like to think of it. I like that. Um, this idea of, you know, we're going to download some software. Yeah. Okay. All right. Go on. Yeah. So you're going to bring to mind this compassion. Um You're going to see what um, experiences come up for you. Maybe compassion to you represents um, Sunday mornings eating pancakes with your grandma or um, your dog that just has that unconditional compassion for you. So let those memories come forth if needed, because they are external resources that we can tap in also. Mm -hmm. Uh, You might need to imagine things or bring memories up of what what does compassion look like for you in movies? What do you imagine it to look Mm. like if you don't have real life experiences? And then you're going to activate the sensory details of what compassion might look like. That might feel like warmth in your chest. That might feel like a big, heavy blanket on your lap. That might um, look like uh, a deep red radiating from your heart. You're going to close your eyes and kind of just lean into these sensory details and what comes up for you. Um, And then you're going to begin to tap. Um, I like to do my throat. And so I will use my middle finger and my index finger on both sides of my throat and tap right Mm -hmm. and left and right and left. And that's Mm -hmm. about the cadence. Um, And 
again, just start with short sets six to 12 times. Um, so a right and a left is one and another right okay. and a left is two. Um, I recommend you do this with your eyes closed, but for some people that this is very new. And if you notice that you're not feeling safe with your eyes closed, open your eyes. It's the bilateral stimulation that's going to work. And so if, if that's what you need to do, do that. Um, and as you are tapping, you will notice, um, positives and mm. you're going to strengthen that. And so if you notice, oh, I feel really warm right now, focus on the warmth and keep tapping. Then you might notice, oh, I, I can picture my grandma right now. Focus on that image and keep tapping. Mm. Now, if something adverse happens, or let's say you feel icky or a negative memory comes up, that's okay. That, that happens. That just means that you've, you know, tapped into something else. Maybe you've done mm -hmm. too long of a set. Um, you can just stop and try it again later. Mm. Okay. And when you say, so you said six to 12 is a set. Mm -hmm. How long do you recommend we do this for until we start to notice the difference in our body or like, don't do this any more than a couple minutes or what do you, what would you say? I think if you're just starting out with this, just start out with no more than one or two sets. Okay. Um, and again, this is meant to parasympathetically regulate you. Okay. So we're talking about your breathing and your physiological symptoms of safety. You might still be thinking in your head, but I hate my boss because he triggered me. Uh huh. Uh huh. You might still feel angry, but we're talking about sympathetically. How can we calm you down? I got you. I got you. Okay. So I guess the last question is sort of how will we know when our bodies, our nervous systems, our brains are beginning to sort of return to the present, return to safety? What sort of markers can we look for? Yeah. Well, I think going back to the autonomic hierarchy, um, there's a really good exercise that I like. It's called notice and name. That's how I remember it. So you want to okay. notice where you're at and you want to name it um, because the art of self-regulation is that you've got to know where you're at. Um, and so if you identify that you're triggered, what you should first do is identify where on that autonomic hierarchy am I right now? Um, and then visualize, okay, where do I want to be? Um, then you can turn towards your experience with compassion hmm. saying, oh yeah, that that sucked because, you know, they were talking about this topic and it reminded me of my trauma. Um, and then try to bring in the curiosity and compassion and then allow yourself to experience a glimmer of being up in that ventral vagal system. That might be like feeling safe in connection through texting a friend real quick and saying, Hey, I was really triggered. I'm so glad that you're a safe person that I can mm -hmm. share this with. Um, or it could be giving yourself a bear hug. Um, but seeking a way to feel connected in that moment. Okay. Okay. And then, so we'll notice maybe, like you said, we're engaging sort of the, it's, it's a way to regulate parasympathetically. So maybe our heart rates, I mean, are, are our heart rates slowing down or are, is our breathing slowing back down to mm -hmm. regular? Um, maybe if our skin is flushed, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of how we're, we're, our body is getting the signal. Yes. And you're going to notice. Yeah. And you're going to notice that you're, sh you should feel less reactionary. Okay. You don't feel the need to respond or react to that trigger. Mm. That's an important one because especially for certain personality types, mine being one of them, I feel most eloquent when I'm real pissed. 
<laughs> I feel like I can get it off and get it off well. You know what I mean? Get off the text, get off the email and, mm-hmm. and say, this is exactly what it is. And then uh, it has, I don't know that it's ever served me well <laughs> to do that. Um, because later on and I go back and read it, I realize not only, I mean, yeah, I communicated why that was harmful, but, but I, I, it was too wordy or it involved this, you know, there was, there was things that are, it wasn't as professional as I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Or if it's family, it was too cold. There's, you know, it, because I'm in a reactionary state and I think mm-hmm. I'm doing it well, but then whenever I sort of return to safety and then look back over it, I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. that wasn't a wise place to respond from. And that's not everybody's personality. Um, but I think, it, you know, even if you're, so if your response is freeze, perhaps returning to safety might empower you to say something mm-hmm. or to engage or to take action or set a boundary rather than staying frozen. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the danger of existing simply and that sympathetic response of fight, fight, flee, flee or fawn because mm-hmm. it only distance, it only continues to distance the disconnectedness that we're already feeling, whether it's mm-hmm. from ourselves because now, because we've responded and sent out this big text message, now we're kind of beating ourselves up the next day because why did I do that? Why wasn't I professional enough? You're just yeah. further disconnecting yourself from yourself. And I imagine it disconnects you further in relationships too. Okay, so that was my conversation with my personal therapist, Jamie Williams. I am always so grateful for her anytime I've had a session or a conversation with her because she just exudes wisdom, experience, and healing. So let's do what we always do in this part of the show and talk about why this matters. I shared a little bit about my own personal experiences being triggered after having experienced trauma. So I know firsthand how much it can disrupt your life, your relationships, and even your health. When you're a trauma survivor, just trying to get to a place of healing and wholeness, but you feel set back by getting triggered. Triggers show up in places we expect and often places we don't expect. I wanted to equip listeners with Jamie's words and wisdom today because those unexpected triggers don't have to be our enemies. We can befriend them as messengers telling us that more healing is needed and available to us. And when they happen, instead of trying to muscle through them or getting frustrated at ourselves, we can, in the words of another therapist who has been a guest on this show, Andy Kolber, we can try softer. We can engage our bodies and minds and stories with compassionate attention and with the tools Jamie laid out for us today. My thanks again to Jamie for joining me for this conversation. You can find her on Instagram at Prosperity Counseling or on her website at prosperitycounseling.com. I will link to these in the show notes as well. Before we go, if you could please take just a moment to pause this episode before the benediction and hit subscribe or follow wherever you are listening to this podcast. And if you're listening in Apple, leaving a rating and a review is such a big deal for us, especially as a new show. And I would also just love to read your feedback. Join me next week as we continue to make space for, honor, and name what matters. And now, according to our little tradition, as we close out, it comes from the book of Uncommon Prayer. I invite God, who is love, to wake within and warm my heart. I invite God, who is peace, to wake within and soothe my soul. 
I invite God, who is wisdom, to wake within and give clarity to my thoughts. May love become my own mind and may true peace rule my heart. I believe this for myself and I want it for you. Amen.